0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for the latest edition of the Freshfields MedTech podcast. I'm Vidya Kailasanath, a Life Sciences and Technology Transactions partner in the Silicon Valley office of Freshfields. And today, I'm so delighted to be joined by two of my colleagues, Tim Howard, who is a partner in our New York office and is really a deep thinker about so many topics, including U.S. government regulatory investigations of the data angle.
1: Thank you for having me, Vinita.
0: And also joined by Philip Roos, who's based in Germany, and routinely advises clients on EU regulations, particularly with respect to the protection of social and health data.
2: Thanks for the invitation, Minita. Very happy to be here.
0: Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to chat with me today about your international perspectives on some of the really fascinating issues facing companies with health data-focused offerings. It really seems like health data is a daily headline topic. We're seeing global regulators becoming so active in this space. Just to get our conversation started, I'd love to hear your perspectives on the issues that are really top of mind for each of you when you're advising companies on health offerings in your respective jurisdictions. Philip, perhaps we could start with you.
2: Yeah, what is particularly of interest to companies is obviously GDPR compliance, but also what is particularly relevant for companies that offer their services within the EU is the European digital strategy. These two topics are the most relevant currently.
0: Yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more. I mean, how, What are you seeing in terms of the special categories of personal data and how the thinking is evolving there?
2: We see that regulators take care of health data Because health data is always, first of all, considered personal data under the GDPR, otherwise the GDPR wouldn't apply. And what makes it particularly tricky is that health data, as you have rightly said, are kind of special categories of data, which means for companies that they must have an additional justification under the GDPR if they want to process these data. And these justifications are, however, very limited and only allow the processing under very specific conditions. What you might also find interesting is that the Court of Justice of the European Union, the highest court here in the EU, has just last year judged that the term special category of data has to be interpreted very broadly. And therefore, even though sometimes companies believe that they don't process special categories of data. In fact, they do if they take the requirements of the Court of Justice of the European Union seriously.
0: What are some of the traps for the unwary there?
2: The trap is that under this very broad interpretation, even though where you would not think that it's directly health data or it can also be data revealing sexual orientation, In fact, it does. So in the case at hand, the person that someone was married was considered as special category data because it reveals your sexual orientation.
0: Wow. Yeah, definitely a a subtle point there. Tim, would love to hear your take on health data in the U.S., particularly in light of the Dobbs decision and reproductive
1: rights. Certainly in my data security practice, we're advising clients all the time on HIPAA security issues and complying with HIPAA to be in a good position with the Department of Health and Human Services. But as you indicate, there is a hot issue right now in the wake of the Dobbs decision regarding government access to reproductive health data arising from uh, the federal law called the Stored Communications Act, a law that I'm very familiar with because I was a a prosecutor with DOJ at the Southern District of New York for 12 years and a tool we we frequently use to get content from third-party providers. And so the issue here is the, the SCA provides an avenue for even state prosecutors in states that have banned abortion to compel providers that fall under the act to produce data about individuals. So there's a risk that can be used to get information on individuals who travel from banned states, let's say like Texas, to California, where it's not banned to get reproductive health services, or even potentially to prosecute medical professionals in states like California when they help residents from banned states get those services. So the SEA applies to providers of electronic communication services or remote computing services to the public, and kind of to simplify that, you're a provider that allow you know provides email services or cloud storage for data, and so the SEA both puts restrictions on when a provider can voluntarily disclose data but also has a patchwork of provisions that relate to when providers can be compelled to provide data with certain legal process from the government. So generally speaking, the SEA takes what otherwise be considered third-party business records that could simply be obtained by subpoena, but add additional protections, including a requirement of a special kind of search warrant in order to get content data, which is seen as the most sensitive. Now, in the rest of the U.S., when you're looking to get a search warrant, typically you are required to go to a judge and a court that has territorial jurisdiction over the property being searched. But the SEA, in part because of the concentration of certain providers in areas of the country, like in Northern California, tried to make the act more flexible and allows any court that has jurisdiction over the offense being investigated, regardless of location, to issue these kind of warrants to qualifying providers. And this includes the right specifically of state prosecutors to get search warrants. So a DA in Texas could go to a Texas state court with an affidavit alleging probable cause that a target engaged in conduct in violation of Texas's abortion laws and compel a qualifying SCA provider to give content data. And what's more, the Stored Communications Act allows the government to get a non-disclosure order to the provider to prohibit the provider from even telling the subscriber that the legal process was obtained and that their health data was provided. So the question is, what can companies do about this to protect consumers' reproductive health privacy? You know, I've talked to several clients about about this very issue. First, I just want to note that the administration, the Biden administration, has noticed this gap and is trying to do something, and they proposed an amendment to HIPAA that would prohibit disclosures to law enforcement for investigations that are authorized by banned states into reproductive health issues into care that's provided in the states where it is legal, a very kind of specific problem that we're dealing with here. But what do we do for now? Or what if our highly politicized political environment surrounding uh, reproductive health forecloses that amendment? Well, first, with states like California passing conflicting state laws about production of, of health data, there may be an avenue to litigate whether this SCA preempts state law or state law provides supplemental privacy protections that survive the Sort Communications Act. But going into that would be a whole nother session, but the problem I want to highlight here is even having the opportunity to fight back, especially when you're in a situation where as many companies do outsource to third party providers to store data sometimes and there you'd have to rely on the third party provider to protect your rights and litigate and they may be subject to a non disclosure order under the SCS so. What can you do? So the first thing to do is to think about is to store the data in encrypted form wherever possible. And this is very important if you use a third-party provider to store data. They simply cannot be compelled to produce what they don't have. So if they only have access to data in encrypted form, that's all they can give to the government like pursuant to this. If you're storing data yourself in-house, you have to think about what is actually necessary to provide services encrypt whatever you don't actually need in plain text for operations. And by the way, this is the best practice anyway from a HIPAA security rule perspective, making sure that the minimum personal health information is available to the provider. Another option is considering processing and storing data in-house and not use a third-party provider. At least then you will receive notice by receiving the legal process and may have an opportunity to litigate and move to quash the legal process. And then finally, you can think about structuring your business activities in a way such you do not fall under the SEA, which would mean the government would have to use standard legal process to get the data which would be easier for you to detect and potentially litigate.
0: I'd love to explore how this plays out if the data is stored abroad. And perhaps after Tim, you had your thoughts, Philip, you could you could opine, you know, from the from the European perspective.
1: So very, very briefly, unfortunately, storing the data abroad does not help you under the Stored Communications Act. If the provider does business in the US, so there's jurisdiction under the Stored Communications Act. Congress, following a controversial case and situation with Microsoft passed the Cloud Act, which amended the Stored Communications Act. And so, essentially, a provider can be compelled to provide the data regardless of they store it in the, on an overseas server. So the location of the data is less important than whether the provider does business in the United States and is covered by the Stored Communications Act.
2: Yeah, from a GDPR point of view, data localization um, is also an important aspect, specifically with regard to health data. First of all, it can be mentioned that a few member states in the EU have introduced specific data localization requirements with regards to health data. That means that the data may not be transferred overseas or that at least a copy of health data must be kept in the respective member states. And then what is particularly relevant for GDPR-regulated companies is the so-called Schrems 2 decision, which sets a high bar for transferring data to the U.S., particularly, but also generally outside of the European economic area, because with the Schrems 2 decision companies, it is not sufficient if they only conclude a standard data agreement. In addition, they must assess what they need to do to protect the data under consideration of the specific jurisdictions which is particularly irrelevant for the U.S. because there all these laws apply, which Tim has just mentioned, and under European considerations, they might not fulfill European standards.
0: Are there many member states with uh, data localization laws regarding health data? Are you seeing any trends in this area?
2: Yes, there are certain member states that provide for data localization requirements with regards to health data, which means that data may either not be transferred to any third country overseas, or that at least a copy of the health data must be kept in the respective member states. We see this specifically in France, but also in Germany under the social laws here. And when we're speaking about trends We could see that privacy authorities identify the protection of health data as one of their priority topics, which surely goes back to the landmark decision of the CJEU we just talked about, but also to the COVID-19 pandemic and that more and more offerings are provided digitally, which is often combined with higher risks. There are a number of German authorities, but also, for instance, the French regulator CNIL which have recently declared that they are currently focusing on the processing of health data.
0: Another topic that's so top of mind for folks is AI. My sense is this is an area where the European regulators and legislatures may be a little further ahead than the U.S. when it comes to thinking about AI in a more harmonized way. Philip, do you have any observations?
2: Yeah, this is true. We need uh, in the European Union... The AI Act is currently being discussed. The AI Act will be a regulatory framework to ensure the ethical and responsible use of AI technologies within the EU. And it will be the first regulatory framework to govern particularly AI. It is also supposed to promote innovation in the field of AI. What is interesting is that it follows a risk-based approach where AI systems are categorized into different risk levels, in particular low, mid and high level risk. It is likely that health data AI system will often be considered high risk AI systems due to the sensitivity of the data they process and their potential impact. The AI Act is relevant for manufacturers, distributors, and users of AI. It will include rules addressing transparency, accountability, and data governance measures. Additionally, specific conformity assessments must be performed to demonstrate compliance with AI. And The details are still discussed, but the AI Act has severe consequences for the companies falling under it with their offerings because non-compliance can lead to extreme high fines of up to 30 million euros following the current draft.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Do you have a sense of the timeline for when the AI Act might actually be enforced?
2: Uh, sure. The parliament is expected to adopt its position on the AI Act in May, so quite closely. And um, after that, so-called trilogue will begin between the EU's Council and Parliament to agree the final version of the AI Act and then it's still currently expected that the AI Act will enter into force by the end of 2023 and once the regulation is adopted it can be expected that health actors will likely have at least two years to prepare for compliance.
0: So there is some time for companies to understand what the contours are of the act and and to come into compliance.
2: That's true. That's true. Specifically, as probably the most interesting question for companies is to which extent and whether they fall under the final AI regulation, which is closely related to the term of an AI system, which is currently the hottest topic, you could say, and holds up the discussions, particularly with a view on tools such as ChatGPT.
0: Wow, our our time together has really flown by. Tim, Philip, would you like to share any closing thoughts on medtech or digital health innovations that you're tracking going forward?
1: I think companies need to continue to take uh, data security and privacy issues regarding health information very seriously. We are seeing a growing effort by the Biden administration to increase cybersecurity regulation over critical infrastructure, and there's no doubt that healthcare data will be in there. So whether it's, you know, concerned about government disclosures or just protecting the data from unauthorized parties, it's something that companies should pay a lot of attention to, cybersecurity audit, governance, and other things to make sure they're in the, the best position to uh, react to an incident.
2: Yeah, I can only enhance what Tim has just said. It is important that companies take GDPR compliance seriously. That they follow the rules of the GDPR, such as having ensured transparency, also being able to fulfill data subject rights, such as data access requests, implement appropriate technical and organizational measures, do their data privacy impact assessment homework, and then to respect the specific rules on data transfers, specifically given the risk landscape. And what is also relevant is the European health data space here for companies being active in Europe. And um, the European health data space is another initiative, part of the European Digital Strategy and the Commission aims to establish a European single market for sharing data in order to allow research and support the development of new products and services, particularly in the healthcare sector. So this is another aspect to watch out for.
0: Wonderful. Well, I really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you both for sharing your perspectives. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this edition of the Freshfields MedTech Podcast. Hope to see you again next time.
2: Thanks, Genita.
1: Thank you.